0: Welcome to Social Fish Insane, a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. This is our continuing coverage of the impacts of COVID-19 on North America's fisheries and fishing communities.
1: We saw in early February millions of pounds of lobster unable to be sold. This is a whole community that's impacted when the fishery is in, in trouble. This is the biggest single investment we've made in the fishery, any government has made in the fishery since the cod collapsed.
0: Hello. I'm your co-host, Hannah Harrison, and I'm joined by Emily D'Souza,
2: and I'm Philip Loring. If you're new to Coastal Roots, we're a relatively new international collaboration of communities, scholars, activists, and others who are interested in supporting the health, resilience, and sustainability of coastal communities around the world.
3: We focus this podcast on storytelling. Over the last six weeks, we've heard a number of different stories from fishermen, processors, community-supported fishery operators, and others involved in the seafood industry who have all been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. This week, we had a chance to speak with someone whose experience cuts across all of those stories, someone who's also been listening and is on the front lines of developing policy responses to support the Canadian seafood industry through this tumultuous time.
0: That's right. We're really pleased to share a conversation we had this week with the Honorable Bernadette Jordan, Canada's Minister of Fisheries, Oceans, and the Coast Guard we spoke about how the Canadian government has responded to the impacts of COVID-19 on the country's fisheries sector. To really share as much of that conversation with you as possible, this week, we'll be dedicating our entire episode to our interview with
2: Minister Jordan. In the last six weeks, we've heard stories from fishermen and processors who are operating under significant uncertainty. In Episode 4, for instance, we heard about how rapidly things have changed for many Canadian fishermen and about the many questions that remain about how they can continue to be resilient as circumstances change week to week.
3: But one side of this equation that we haven't heard much from thus far has been from those in government, whose role in crises like COVID-19 is to try to address that very issue of uncertainty.
0: So let's start from the beginning. Minister Jordan began our conversation by telling us how Canadian fisheries first started to notice the impacts of COVID-19 with the loss of export markets early in 2020, even before COVID-19 itself was detected in Canada. This is important because Canada's seafood industry is primarily export-oriented.
1: It's impacted all of the fisheries right across the country, coast to coast to coast, as well as inland fisheries. Basically, what we saw was export markets dry up, and, and we primarily are a fresh- market export product um you know not just lobster but we we saw with the um the fish through the freshwater fish marketing board in manitoba through the bc with with their crab all of it was was pretty much gone um, we had seen the impacts of covid19 probably first in the fishing sector because of course we had live lobster markets in uh, asia collapse in january when everything shut down there um, you know of course one of the biggest seasons the biggest times of the year are for lobster exports, for, for crab exports, is of, uh Chinese New Year. And all of those were cancelled this year. So we, we saw in early February millions of pounds of lobster being able, unable to be sold. Uh, and that was when things were really not even taking off here. People hadn't realized what it was going to do. But we were all very concerned about what was going to happen in the fishing sector if things progressed the way we had, had
3: expected it to. Losing that export market to China was a major blow. Just for context, Canada's fish and seafood exports to China are valued at $1.17 billion, which accounts for 17% of the total Canadian fish and seafood exports by value.
0: We reported on similar problems in Episode 5 of this podcast when we discussed how 80% of the Great Lakes catch, for instance, is exported to the restaurant market in the United States. Most of that market has disappeared over the past few months as restaurants were asked to close their doors and limited their menus. As we've heard in our interviews, Canadian processors and distributors really didn't have significant pre-existing capacity to hold fish in Canada when those export markets closed.
1: Uh, one of the things we also came to realize when we did this is that because that was our our primary market was export and fresh, is that there was no capacity for storage. There was no capacity for freezing. There was no there was no value added in a lot of a lot of the sector um, because it was basically catch and sell and so what we had to do was look at how we could develop programs to help processors make sure they could um one continue to buy product from from harvesters but also be able to store that product Uh, we we actually started the canadian uh, seafood stabilization fund which is a 62.5 million dollar fund to allow processors to increase capacity to buy freezers Uh, something as simple as that that we don't really think about but When you think that, for the most part, we were people who would sell things live and fresh, we we didn't have to worry about capacity and building those storage
3: facilities. The Seafood Stabilization Fund is only one piece of a diverse aid package that the government has put forward to support the Canadian seafood industry.
2: That's right. We've heard from fishermen about the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB. But Minister Jordan highlighted how the unique nature of fishing livelihoods made some of these general benefits inaccessible to many people in the industry.
1: One of the big challenges, of course, is when, when um, COVID-19 hit, we, we stepped up quite quickly as a government to address a lot of concerns. I mean, we have the student benefit package. We have the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. We have the small business packages. Um, the, the programs that we put in place primarily for businesses, because of the unique nature of the fishery and how fishing enterprises are set up, they didn't qualify they weren't able to qualify for a lot of the measures that we put in place. Um, uh, Many of them are intergenerational. You know, you've got a number of the same family members working in the industry with you. And if it's a family business, it doesn't qualify. You also have, uh, it's seasonal. Many fishers, you know, I mean, I know on the East coast, for example, many fishers will make their year's money in six to seven weeks. um, And then that's, you know, so they didn't qualify. They couldn't, they couldn't base on three months' worth of um, decline in their revenue because they hadn't even started fishing yet. So we had to come up with something that addressed their specific industry, their specific needs. Uh, so the Fish Harvester Benefit and the Fisheries, uh, the Fish Harvester Grant is close to a half a billion dollars in aid that is going directly to harvesters. The other thing that's interesting, too, is that people who work on boats oftentimes aren't paid a wage. They're paid a share of the catch. And because of that, they didn't qualify for benefits. So we've made this available to the sharepersons as well as the owner-operators, the people who are, you know – The the people who hold the licenses and initially it's a a $10,000 grant um, to help cover their overhead costs and also $847 a week. It's basically the same as the wage subsidy that we put in place for businesses that are going to be available for for harvesters. Um, It's $847 a week for up to 24 weeks we're still working on getting those things out the door but it's it's giving them a, a, an ability to make business decisions knowing that they've got some some backup right now you know i mean we're seeing that people are saying why should i even go because there's no markets that you know the markets are very difficult to address right now but this is giving them a bit of security as well as recognizing too that ei you know which is something that a lot of people rely on that are seasonal fisher's ei is different again than regular EI. Fisher's EI is based on your catch. It's not based on the amount of hours you work. So we've cha- we're have we going to change EI to allow them to claim their EI benefits based on last season's earnings as opposed to this year's, because we know that this year they're just not going to have the same type of, of ability to make the money that they have in the
2: past. A quick side note for our listeners in the States is that EI stands for Employment Insurance, a federal program in Canada.
0: I was also interested to hear how the government went about creating these aid packages to suit the needs of so many diverse fisheries in a time when the future of the industry is incredibly uncertain. It sounds like, like fishermen themselves, the Canadian government has had to be flexible in how it designs relief packages to meet the needs of such a diverse group of fishermen, processors, and others in the seafood industry.
1: One of the things that we're, we're focused on is with the um, Seafood Stabilization Fund, that is actually giving processors the ability to retool their facilities in order to do value-added. And I think that's going to be really important as well, because we don't have a value-added market. And I'll just use it as an example. Um, oysters, you know, I mean, it's a fresh product it's something that you know it's a it's a live fresh product but we have one one facility um on the west coast who has contacted us because they want to move to a smoke smoke oysters because smoke oysters are more uh domestic people buy them domestically. So that fund is going to be able to help them retool their facility in order to meet that market. So those are the kinds of things we can do as a federal government through, you know, different funding sources to make sure that people are able to look at value added and capacity building. But with regards to licensing specifically to sell directly, that is definitely in the province's jurisdiction.
3: Smoked oysters sound amazing right now. You know, the Minister's comments here remind me of what we heard in Episode 6 about how products like shellfish can require a certain palate on the part of the consumers. The ability to build capacity to produce more of these value-added products and match or expand Canada's seafood to existing consumer palates is a potentially promising opportunity for Canada to grow its domestic seafood market and get more Canadians eating seafood.
1: And one of the things I think that's really exciting about this—I mean, it's—it's it's a very challenging time. There's no question, and we've not—we've never seen anything like it uh, within the industry. But it's giving us an ability to really change how we think about our marketing. Um, we as Canadians don't eat enough seafood. There's very little limited domestic market in Canada, and so for us, I think it's a, its an opportunity for us to start saying to people, you know, you need to—you need to put some fish on your plate because it's, a, it's an amazing source of protein. Of course, as an East Coaster, as someone from Nova Scotia, it's always been my way of life. <laughs> but there's a lot of people who have, have never really had the experience of what good seafood is and now you know i mean we need to start looking at supporting our harvesters who have supported us for so many years i look at what's happening during covid19 in in little communities where people are now buying from their local bakeries and buying from their you know their their local farms and buying from their harvesters their fish harvesters and i hope that on the other side of covid19 people remember that that they were the people that supported us so we need to continue to support them
4: was i drawn into your orbit Or were you drawn into mine? In any case, you've given me a new reason to shine. The circles we're revolving, spinning recklessly around, growing tighter by the hour. The flash and then the
2: sound and for it's really neat to hear the minister touch on these ideas of local people bringing local seafood to our plates, since we focus so much of this show on that very premise. It reminds me of the stories we heard about the community-supported fisheries in Episodes 1 and 2. But I think it's also important to recognize that Canada has really diverse fisheries, big, small, inland, marine, and a multitude of different species, all of which have different management needs. One of the things I appreciated in our conversation with Minister Jordan is how she emphasized the need to listen to fishermen and others in the fisheries sector in order to constantly adjust and work towards the best possible solutions.
1: I think probably the biggest challenge is is that no matter what you do, you're not going to catch everybody. Um, And that's that's always a struggle. You know, you cast the net wide and, and then you go back and you do it again and you go back and you do it again until you continue to to find where the gaps are and you try and fill the gaps that's that's been one of the biggest challenges um and of course you know what what works for processors and people who work in processing facilities is not the same as what works for harvesters and people who work on boats so trying to find the right balance of all of those things and you know dfo um and my department too it you know i mean one of our one of our critical pieces is making sure we're still doing fish management decisions is making sure that we're conserving you know we're looking at conservation measures making sure that we're that we have healthy stock so although we've had to to um, delay a few seasons because people weren't ready for the health protocols that they had to put in place in processing facilities that doesn't mean we extend them on the other end because that there's a challenge then with what your stock assessments might be like uh, maybe it's molting season for lobsters maybe it's a, a you know something that you it's just not it's just not possible so we have to take those things into considerations when we're developing our packages because people who would normally make all of their money in seven weeks now're compressed to like four and a half and that's a huge challenge. Um, so those are all the kinds of things we have to take into account, as well as, of course, you know, your freshwater fish is different. Again, the West Coast is different. The North is different. Um, you know, this is a very big country. And fisheries, one thing I can say is, is every day I learn something new because every day it's different no matter what you're, where, who you're talking to. Um, so we've, we've had to make a lot of adjustments as we go, but we'll continue to do that because we know it's extremely important to make sure that this sector survives COVID-19.
3: You know, the challenge of striking a balance between economic, social, and ecological sustainability has been something that I've also thought a lot about personally. So it's really great to hear that decision makers are also trying to find a way to reconcile these factors.
1: And I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges with, with uh, you know, the fisheries file no matter what whether you're po- you're in covid-19 or not you know what conservation has to be one of our top priorities but recognizing that this is an industry that sustains our coastal communities i mean i grew up in one my mom worked in a fish plant I, it's it's been part of my life forever um, and recognizing how important it is to the people that it sustains it, it's sometimes that like I said a very interesting balancing act with regards to making sure you're doing the right thing so that people can continue to fish and I think that's where I look at it is what are the measures we have to put in place in order to make sure that this is sustainable for the long term you know I want to make sure that you know people's grandkids can continue to go fishing or great grandkids and that we want to make sure that the stocks stay healthy um but and sometimes that is like right now we're dealing with of course the um the north atlantic right whales in in the gulf uh which are an endangered species there's only 400 of them left and we've had to put measures in place to protect the whales which are extremely important but at the same time you know i mean that's impacting the the crab fishery those are things that you have to do but sometimes there are very difficult decisions that we have to make
2: One thing I want to highlight here is Minister Jordan's comment about wanting to see fishing livelihoods persist into the next generations. This is a challenge that existed before COVID-19, certainly, that young people face a number of barriers to entering the industry. In part, this means thinking about how to make it affordable to enter fisheries, but it also means finding ways to help fishers and others in the industry reduce risk and uncertainty over the long term.
0: Indeed, and that links us back to a concern that we heard from fishermen in episode three, this question of to fish or not to fish this year. And if you do fish, where can you sell it? And who might buy that eventual finished product? The fish are certainly there in the water, but all of the other pieces of the chain must also be present. With a lack of markets and new health concerns due to COVID-19, some folks have really been weighing the risks and benefits of getting out on the water, and processors are deciding if and when to buy fish and how much to buy if they do. I asked Minister Jordan about this, and she explained how the government is trying to support seafood harvesters, processors, and others in the seafood supply chain. You brought up a point earlier that made me think of a conversation. We've been talking to some folks in the Great Lakes areas, and they were talking about kind of that chain of supply, how you go from the fisherman to the processor, and that the measures that had been put forward were really effective at creating that additional capacity for processors. But ultimately, they couldn't fix that there are no restaurants open. And I wonder, I guess, if there's been any conversations on your end about how how we can kind of support the entire chain of seafood production um, in a time like this and how do you deal with those challenges from the federal level?
1: That's why we put the harvester benefits in place is, and, you know, of course, inland fishers are also eligible for those as well. Um, And that's why we put those in place is because we know this is a difficult time. We know that there's going to be some significant challenges with regards to how, um, you know, the, the sector survives, whether or not people fish and giving them an ability to make that decision, knowing that there's still some kind of a backup for them. You know, a lot of them were very concerned if we hadn't changed EI. Um, in order for them to qualify based on last year's uh, season or the previous seasons then how do you know how do they make the decision to maybe not fish or not fish as much because they then have to uh, be concerned about how they're going to pay their bills so you know I mean taking into account those challenges has been really significant to allow harvesters to make the decisions to whether or not they do fish this year Um, You know, I mean, nobody wants to see food wasted. Nobody wants to see us dumping, uh, you know, fish because they don't have freezer capacity or because we don't have a market. So it's making responsible choices, but knowing that they're able to still pay their bills once we make those choices.
2: This is an important point to me, making the right tools available so that fishers can make the decisions they need to make, but also ensuring that there's a safety net for when people need to take or accept risks. But it's worth noting here that for everybody involved, this is a big ask. Governments, by their nature, are not generally very nimble. But when people are dealing with crises like COVID-19, they need effective, rapid-fire responses to constantly changing circumstances. In this case, this underlying attitude of trust that we're hearing from the minister and support for individuals to do what works best for them is admirable.
3: Now, as our regular listeners know, we focus this podcast on a lot of community supported fisheries or CSFs, including some right here in Canada. One thing that we shared with Minister Jordan was the successes that we've seen from fishermen direct marketing their catch and their ability to adapt somewhat more easily to the challenges of COVID 19 in their local markets. Interestingly, we learned that many of the rules and regulations related to direct marketing seafood products are actually made at the provincial level. We
1: also have to recognize that, you know, there is jurisdictional boundaries. Um, the provinces are actually responsible for licensing people to sell, uh, you know, on the wharves or, you know, it off their trucks kind of thing. That's not actually a a federal responsibility. Um, So it is something we have conversations. I meet with my provincial counterparts uh, on the East Coast uh, every other week and on the West Coast every other week as well on a different day. Um, But we always have these conversations about the best ways forward. And it's something that we have talked about in terms of making sure that it's accessible. The other thing we have to be very careful, of course, though, is in the time of COVID-19, we don't want a lot of people on wharves. You know, we don't want to have. You know, that's that's the other challenge is that you've got to make sure that you have the safety protocols in place. So it, it's it's definitely um, it's like I said, there is jurisdictional boundaries there we have to respect. We are the regulator of the industry, we are the uh, you know the, the people who who look after making sure that there is a that there are fish to fish that they have licenses that people are fishing responsibly. Um, but when it comes to the the sales of them, it it falls under provincial jurisdiction.
2: You know, we covered a lot of ground with Minister Jordan, and I think that regardless of where you sit politically, she gave us a lot to think about and a ton of insight into how policy works. This is especially true when she reflected in our interview on the long-term outlook of the Canadian seafood industry and the resilience that these fisheries have shown in the past.
1: One of the things I have done, like right from the start of, uh, I, I, I use March 13th as the benchmark. That was when basically the house rose and I've been working from home ever since. Um, but the the I've looked at it in terms of short term, what's the immediate need, midterm and long term. Um, because, you know, I mean, there's obviously going to have to be a, a plan going forward to make sure that we address the long term Sustainability of the industry, and what that looks like right now, we're still working on because we're still in the middle of everything. We don't know when this is going to end or what the new normal will be. Um, and I, I think, you know, with regards to regards to the cod collapse, I mean, this is the the biggest single investment we've made in the fishery. Any government has made in the fishery since the cod collapse. So it's uh, it it has been a significant amount of investment into the fishery because we know that. You know, I mean, it's it, in a lot of rural coastal communities. It's all we have, and that is why it's so imperative that we do everything we can to make sure that it does go into hybridation, Really, for for lack of a better a, a better analogy, is is just put it to sleep for a while. And then when it wakes up, it's it's ready to start again. Um, You know, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. But what is the stimulus that it's going to need to continue to survive in in the long term, it's going to take us a while to rebuild markets. There's no question because this isn't just something that's affecting Canada. This is A global pandemic and so we're looking at you know we are starting to see a little bit of movement in the asian market we are starting to see a little bit of movement in the us because some things are starting to open again Um, but it's going to take a long time for us to get back to 2019 levels of what we would have sold in in into export markets so how do we continue to support harvesters to support processors to support communities because this isn't just you know, a couple of people. This is a whole community that's impacted when the fishery is in, in trouble. It's definitely challenging, but we are going to be able to come on to the other end of this. I'm, I'm confident of that. The fishery will survive. It has survived many, many things in the past. It has survived, you know, gluts on the market. It has survived the cod collapse. It has survived. Yeah, it's changes whenever that happens, but it still, it still survives.
4: For. A- of multiplying sun but even stars will one day fall and i won't shed a tear because for a time we had it all
0: thanks for joining us this week we want to extend a special thank you to minister jordan for taking the time to talk with us and to share her perspective more broadly with our fisheries audience
2: Social Fishtensing is a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. We will bring you the voices and stories of small-scale fishing folks and others in the seafood industry from around North America for the foreseeable future. These interviews and episodes are being recorded week to week, and we aim to bring you a new one every other Tuesday.
3: To connect with the people you've heard on this episode, visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org. To learn more about the federal benefits available to Canadian fishermen and others in the fishing industry, visit the links in the description of this episode. If you'd like to share your story with us, please send us an email to stories at coastalroots.org.
0: Coastal Roots Radio is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph. We also receive support from the American Anthropological Association and the Local Catch Network. Today, we heard from the Honorable Bernadette Jordan, Canadian Minister of Fisheries, Oceans, and the Coast Guard.
2: You're listening to Orbit by John Woodward, available for free on the Free Music Archive.
4: And when the stars were all aligned, you pulled me in your orbit as I pulled you into mine. And when the time has come to fall, I won't shed a tear. Cause for a time we had it all For a time we had it all
2: See you next time.